Hello, before we get into today's episode, which we're very excited to talk about, I have two things I want to say. First thing is, the audio you are about to hear is from our earliest days of recording, one of the third or fourth episodes we ever recorded, so we didn't exactly have a format down, so you might notice some of the clips maybe don't match up to some of our newest episodes, but I still hope you enjoy some of our first content. There will be a clip at the very end that if you stay to, you will hear Cookie say cinema rewind instead of cinematic rewind. Second thing is I want to thank each and every single one of you for how much you have supported this podcast by listening, by sharing. Thank you all so much. Shortly after we released our episode of WandaVision last Wednesday, literally not even an hour later, we hit 200 listens. So thank you all so much. We are now at 228 listens as of Monday, oh wow, it's Tuesday, Tuesday at 1.52 a.m. Again, thank you all so much. Your support means the world to me and to everyone here at Cinematic Rewind Studios. We love you all so much, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's get on with the show. Warning, the following content occasionally contains adult themes and language, which is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of Cinematic Rewind. Joining me today are my usual co-hosts, the Cookie Monster and Regent. How are you both doing today? Glad to be back. Yeah, I'm doing well. All right. And today we will be discussing the movie from Netflix, Old Guard, which was released on July 10th, 2020, starring Charlize Theron. I have not seen her in anything. I know she's in the Mad Max movies. What? <laughs> Hold up. We gotta we gotta talk about that first. Wait, you have not really watched Charlie Theron? We're gonna have to bring him to the limelight. Wow, she's acting in so much stuff. Yeah, I know she's in the Mad Max movie, the Snow White and the Huntsman, Atomic Blonde. I know she's in some of the Fast and Furious Hancock, the Italian job. Most of what you just named was like in the past four years, so she was also in My Joe Young, she was in Devil's Advocate, nineties, you know, B rated horror movies, Children of the Corn, she was in that. I don't think she was in the eighties. But she was definitely starting in the 90s and been at it since. I'll tell you just very quick my history with her. She stands out because she's definitely a method actor. She goes all in whatever she does, which I have to truly respect. One of her craziest performances, I think it's called Monster, based like on a true story or something like that. She put on a lot of weight for the film to make it just feel as real of a film. For someone like her, especially if you've seen most of the stuff even you named, she's a woman that's physically fit. She's even modeled. For her to do something like that, she wanted to take a role serious. And one last piece about that was, it wasn't even like it was like triple A status film. She knew this was a role she wanted to do and she took it that serious, but it definitely wasn't meant to be a film that was like the game changer that all the Academy Awards and, you know, everything's going to be fighting over this movie this year, that year. You know what I mean? To the point, though, a lot of movies that she's in, she she puts in full effort. It's not that I am not interested in some of her work. It's just more along the lines of I just haven't seen enough of her, which after this movie, I do want to see her in more things because she was absolutely phenomenal in this movie. Let's go ahead and dive right into initial impressions. 
Cookie, go ahead and give us your initial impression after finishing the movie. I was like almost jumping up and down on the couch. I ain't going to fret when I saw it. It actually reminded me why I miss theaters. Like this is a film I wish I could have saw on a big screen in the theaters. I feel like the movie just had a lot of the traditional action thriller, a lot of the adventure feel. There was just a lot of stuff done right with the film. So I left wanting more excited for a sequel. And I loved how a lot of the pieces came together at the end of the film to leave me just looking forward to the future of the, the series. What about you, Regent? What were your initial impressions with the whole movie? I agree with Cookie about the action. Why I miss going to theaters and just seeing a really good fight. Just good fight, you know, simple storytelling, but also making it really interesting with its own spin to it. I really did like the plot behind it. I did have a couple, you know, critiques about the movie and things like that, but most and foremost, I enjoyed the movie. Would be interested in seeing a sequel as how they ended the movie on their note. Okay, all right. I guess I'm the odd man out here. I did not enjoy this movie. Reason being is I feel like the movie lacked real stakes as far as the character's inevitable place where they're going to end up. The characters felt like they were never really in any danger for actual death, and that sort of pulled me away from actually connecting with the characters in a certain way. Now, I know there's this random, oh, you could lose your immortality for some reason, which killed the movie a little bit even more for me because one of my biggest grievances with immortal characters is they have to have a weakness and there has to be a reason for that weakness their biggest weakness is they can lose their immortality what's the reason for that weakness we don't know and the characters themselves don't even know i was not a big fan of the movie but i feel like the actors really carried this movie and performances were really good the stunt crew was absolutely phenomenal the pacing was really good, though. Yeah, I'm definitely interested now to, to have this discussion now, because I, I do want to hear hear y'all's opinions on it. But especially since you're going to kind of be more on the, the opposite end, I say, let's bring it on then. I have to, have to agree with Cookie on that, because there was a comment you, you mentioned a moment ago about like the, the reasons like for the stakes. And I might have a slight argument, but I feel like it'd be more constructive conversation. So, yeah, let's get into it, guys. Yeah. You want to start with that then? Sure. First things first. Basically, there was a point in the movie when Charlie Theron's character was talking about just losing their purpose and just feeling like all their work and their efforts they were doing had no positive impact or replications behind it. And when she specifically said the world can burn to hell for all she cared in that moment, I felt like that might have been tied to them as, you know, immortal guardians that they lose their immortality when they stop losing their sense of purpose or being. When she had that part, she didn't really lose her immortality until later on in the movie. But then when she realized the importance of Kiki's character in the movie, she gained her purpose back. By the time she got that back, it was already too late. Her immortality was already gone. I feel like that was part of the reason for the, the loss of the immortality, and that's their so-called weakness. But I have to agree that wasn't really concrete directional evidence of this is the true way of their weakness, or if there's something else underlying it that actually plays more of a factor. Like, that part was just like a glazed-over note in the movie. Yeah, I, I would still have to argue with that, just due to two instances in the movie. One being the flashback where the man gets disemboweled, pretty much, like, sliced in the gut, and he's just like, well, I guess it's my time. I don't think in that moment he had lost his purpose. He was serving his purpose but i don't think he lost it second instance would be the lady in the iron tomb or coffin i think after a while of dying repeatedly to being drowned especially with going insane as they say in the movie you would lose your purpose but yet 
she still keeps coming back. I want to throw this in. So even amongst you two, this is where I'm going to be different with the film is what's the problem with that? Why does there need to be so much weight? Because sometimes when you write stories about someone who's immortal, we automatically think the bad thing is them losing their immortality. But like for me, when I was watching it, I guess the biggest weight wasn't death. The biggest weight to me was suffering. I kind of felt it like when they put that girl in that metal casing and dropped her, I was freaking out for her. Like I literally thought I was like, is it really worth having immortality to suffer like that? Fuck. Like I would rather just die. Like I mean, to literally just live for how many centuries you keep drowning, you die, you wake up drown again die like you don't even have time to even process because your body is literally going through i mean i could only imagine the, the pain that would be see i would agree with you cookie that suffering and living that long can be the weight of the movie but only if they had made that the actual weight of the movie versus like oh i can die now i better be a little bit more cautious and then everyone being sort of like her bodyguard i feel like they treated death for the immortals like the weight of the movie and the suspense there is oh they can actually die and they put so much behind that repeatedly if they had gone in that direction where eternal suffering and loss because you have this one character who explains to kiki's character you will lose your family eventually they will get old and they will die and you will lose everyone you love if they had made immortality seem more like a curse than death being a curse then i would be behind this movie 100 percent. i could definitely agree with that if they decided to go that route i would love it more that immortality was actually a curse there are writing in movies and film that does go in that route of maybe that's why i connected to that part more than the actual death i connected to more of is immortality really worth it do you really want to live forever because everyone you love you're going to see them die you know, you brought up a good point where it's like they kind of just dabbed into different segments of immortality. Like, OK, there is a potential death. Oh, you're not going to have your family, loved ones anymore. Oh, you could be like buried alive and never dig yourself out and you just literally suffer for eternity. All these different kind of consequences. But it might have almost been better if they did like put more effort into at least one or two of those categories. If they had had the entire movie focus on. There was a specific reason you could die. Like, say, what Regent said is you lose your purpose. I could get behind that a little bit. I would still be a little frustrated at the movie and the Swiss whole cheese in the plot. But I would really have liked it if the suffering of immortality, the loss that you experience as an immortal one. Bring up a little quick rabbit trail here. In the TV show Doctor Who, there's an immortal character known as the Doctor or somewhat immortal. That show depicts what loss and suffering immortality holds for you perfectly, and that's what I wish they would have put in here. Regent, as a fellow Doctor Who fan, can you confirm or deny? Absolutely confirm with one word. Moffat! Oh, boy. As that flies over my head. <laughs> All right, maybe that's something we got to cover one day. So now that we've dived into what we would have changed, let's dive into the beginning. This movie opens very quickly. It starts off with literally showing you a future scene where they're all temporarily dead, where they were sort of set up, and then it transitions to about maybe a couple hours earlier in the movie or earlier in the storyline to where they actually meet up with a CIA agent to where they get led into this trap. I hated that they did that. That didn't make no sense. 
that was way too quick. Like this is going to happen a couple hours, but in film time, it was like five minutes or 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Like that shit happened so soon after it had no use. I, you could have cut that part out and it would have still been the same film to me. That's like literally the reason I brought it up is because like, why are we open to being dead? If we see these characters, then we already sort of know like, okay, the whole movie's based around these characters. Surprise. They're dead. First thing you see. Oh, wait, they can't be dead. The whole movie's about them. Oh, even worse. If I had to be honest, when the film started, the makeup was so bad that I didn't connect the two, especially like Charlie's there. And I know what she looked like. I've seen a lot of her movies. I was even guessing. I was like, is that her? Is that like some random group of people on the floor? That's what made it even worse for me that when the real veil came and I was like, oh, that y'all just did a shitty job on that. Like, come on. Let's talk about the action scene that followed the whole setup. This action scene was so well choreographed and so well thought out. And the stunt team did a phenomenal job with executing it. Now, if only the camera crew could have held a camera still. It was so shaky. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) I mean, you had four versus, you know, what, 10 or 12 people? And you're trying to capture all four of them? And then try to individualize their strengths or skill sets. Wide shots, lots of cuts, my dude. It felt like they tried to do a John Wick movie and they handed a dude an iPhone and was like, all right, here, capture this. I have no way to defend that. (laughs) It's one of the things where it's like understanding the challenges, choreographing multiple people to do like a heavy amount of stunts. After a while, it's like kind of understand. I'm not necessarily going to defend them because I I don't know. I wasn't there filming it. So I can't necessarily say because they could have took the easy way out, like you said, and just gave someone like a hand camera. I was like, okay, just film this like six times and we'll just cut it all together. I love the stunt. The stunt works great. I think they did an excellent job throughout. In fact, throughout this entire movie, they this whole stunt and choreography team did a phenomenal job. I have nothing bad to say about that at all. As much as I like the movie, the stunt work and the, the fight scenes is literally the whole movie for me. And I know you're going to get to it, but I'm just going to bring it up now. The plot only holds up so much. That's not the bridge. <laughs> it's definitely what carried all the weight is definitely the fights. Yeah. Any thoughts on the first fight scene, Regent? Well, as I was saying earlier, four of them versus, you know, how many of them in one small room, you know, actually getting a camera skill set, taking the time to like, find fluidity in the scene to make it flow all together versus being choppy left and right like someone used you know sony movie maker microsoft video editor one thing i did like in the, the scene was that they showed like how they actually work together the quick instance where it was charlie's theron and marwan's character where she like strikes a guy and then he takes his shotgun and merely pump gauges and drops down and fires off from underneath to like take out the guy like that quick fluidity of like hey they're each find their own persons but they'll tan and pass off to one another to help take down their target so i really like there was some form of teamwork it just wasn't like each person just runs through like an avenger takes out their own people and then try to help each other towards the end like they're all trying to do the same thing together as a cohesive group i i really enjoyed some aspects of that So then we move on to a small scene that I don't really have any nitpicks about. I'm more curious. Have either of you read the comics associated with these, this movie? No. Okay. All right. Well, if any listeners at home have the answer to my question, which is why do they change and bury their clothes every time? Like they purposefully keep all of their bloodied clothes away from anyone. It's not like they just take off a bloody shirt and throw it. They always dispose of it. I know the answer. It's actually talked about later in the movie because it's Harry Melling's motive for what he's doing. 
because he's trying to get their DNA. Even when I got to that part, that's kind of what I figured. Because like pretty early on, I started piecing that together. I guess the scene where Charlie Theron deletes the photo, which I really liked. Like she came over there like, oh, let me help you. Just it was kind of funny for me though, because like how long it took her to delete the photo was realistic. But also, if you really was in that area, you're gonna be like, what are you doing? Because it wasn't quick. She took as quickly as she could to delete the photo. I know I'm being nitpicky. It was just very funny. You know, it takes about five to 10 seconds. But if you were in real life seeing someone flicking their fingers all on your phone and they're taking te- five to 10 seconds, that's kind of awkward. What are you doing on my phone? You're just about to take the picture, right? So I just wanted to point that out. I think it was just funny. To the point, though, I started piecing together of them not wanting to leave evidence in any form. They never know who's watching them. They never know if someone's trying to collect information on them. So if at any point, if they can hiding it, they're, they're bloody clothes and somewhere in the middle of nowhere, just in case. I can only imagine that's not the first time that somebody would be interested in their DNA, blood or whatever, anything about them. Especially with the time frame they've been around. Yeah, now that you say that, I think there's a line later on in the movie where they're like, you question my methods. And I think he's like, oh, you're immoral. It's not the first time I've seen something like this. Now, I know that's not a direct quote, but now that you say that, it does make more sense. And then we move on to where they're trying to track everything down. And during that, we get introduced to Kiki's character, the Marine, who unfortunately gets her throat slit during action and then wakes up shortly thereafter. And the rest of the old guard each get a sort of a different vision of her. Another question, do we know why they get visions of new people? Is that ever explained? I don't think so. I think that's just going to be as part of the the future sequels. It's one of those tough things that if you're not going to do a TV show, it's really hard to set up movies for multiple sequels. You have to figure out how much do we let people know up front? How much do we keep secret? It's one of those things like I wanted all the answers up front, but I am someone who just like what we're doing with this podcast, like we do research, we kind of know about comics, things are inspired by others. But if you're a casual viewer, that is going to be kind of annoying for you that you're like, Oh, this is a cool movie. I watched it. I have so many questions. I don't know what's going on. It may not be a question we have answers to yet. Hopefully in the future, they do dive into that. Fun fact about the vision. Joe, or Marwan's character, he's drawing the vision of Kiki's character laying on the ground. The hands in that scene aren't his. It's actually Leandro Fernandez who actually does the illustration for the comic books. That is, those are his little hands drawing his little work what's up that's really cool that's cool i didn't know that the more you know so what did we think about kiki's character's introduction and her character interacting with andy's character for like the first bit because i thought that was hilarious and top-notch stuff what do you guys think for me i liked it and one of the things when i was looking up some things about the movie that i'll point out right now that made it even better and i'm so glad you brought this part up because i was going to bring it up too especially when it got to the airplane between them two it's like one of the first scenes filmed in the movie and it's their first scene truly together at least the notes that charlie's Theron posted it was pretty much purposely done so they could create the tone for the whole film and recording of the film so for me like i really enjoyed it i think it was about as real as it could be from both sides I really like how Charlie's there and kind of reminded me of me where it's like after you do something for so long, you kind of sometimes lose patience. So you're just like, yeah, I know you're going to do this. Just just get in the car. <laughs> you know, like just I know you're going to do this just because it's like, yeah, you could be nice and diligent, but you're kind of like, I know you're immortal. You're going to whatever. You're going to fight it. I'm going to catch you. Who cares? Just just 
stop. <laughs> and then even for Kiki's character, it makes sense for her because like trained Marine and she's already preparing herself for defense, going through her protocol. And then after getting past protocol, now she's just like, I, I'm a black woman trying to survive now. I know how to kick your ass. This is what I'm about to do. So it was just, I really liked how all that evolved. Yeah. What about you, Regent? Definitely the, the plane scenes where I started warming up to her, like the whole her standing and just looking at her like who are you and she's like i am da 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 and then bops her over the head with the pistol <laughs> that felt very like superhero movie troop of like who are you and the hero responds and then does something to like disappear almost but no the fight scene was absolutely very good i mean on youtube there's actually a behind the scenes video of them actually doing their stunt training there was like multiple takes with charlie staron practicing the roundabout judo throw at the end of the video she's like pumped from doing it and it was done like perfect and you just hear like the director and a couple of people like, great job, Charlie's. She's like huffing with excitement and she's like, yeah, let's go. Let's do it again. And you just see like this, the fight and the training staff for like, because she's like so into doing that stuff. But yeah, it's like it's a brief three minute video about all the different fighting styles that all the actors in the movie learn. And it's like 28 different fighting styles they had to practice and learn outside of just the weapons and guns in the movie. It's like the actual hand to hand styles of combat to try to tie into like, hey, we're finely aged fighters but i definitely like their interaction and yes yeah, so definitely with cookie about the whole like okay i know you're doing this just please stop we, i got stuff to do and you're, you're not making this easy please don't make me do this okay i gotta do this cool get in the car just get in the car yeah just like hey all right, please stop resisting tries to run away just literally just shoots her in the head <laughs> it's like oh, i hate how long it takes the first time just so nonchalant just chilling there waiting for her to come back to life and then it's just like all right if you want answers you have to get in the car i thought you had answers yeah i do i didn't say you would like them but... yeah <laughs> great dialogue in that section too oh yeah and props to all of them. I know Regent brought up Charlie Theron, but at least from the research I found is that Kiki's character, uh, and I apologize for not having her name written down, she did most of her stunts as well. They made sure to point that out too. So I know she's a more up and coming actress. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more of her work, especially for her being put on such a film with this quality, you know, with A-list actors. And then on top of that, to, to really bring it to the table. Definitely was proud of her skills as well. Definitely excited to see more of her in the future. What else she does? Go watch the movie if uh, Bill Street could talk. That's the movie she got her into, like being noticed on the movie spectrum. Then we move on to where she gets introduced to the rest of the gang. They sort of have sort of like a small dinner. This scene sort of felt a little slow for me. I know it gives some small exposition about the characters and where they're from, how old they are, and then even to a character we see later on in the movie. How did you guys feel about the whole, like, abandoned church bit? That was kind of the funniest part in the movie for me, outside of them talking, like, doing the whole origin story. But the whole fight scene after that with Charlie Theron, I just love that she just went through and took out, like, eight guys within, you know, a minute or two. It would tell us, literally looking at the camera as this is all going down, going, I strongly suggest we get out of here. And usually in action movies, the, the trope is get more men in there. But then you see the two assailants of his literally just throw their heads down and grab their stuff and just book it to try to get out of there. They were trying to be serious, but to me, that was just absolutely funny because it was the polar opposite of what I was expecting. Yeah, it's always get more men in there. But when faced with an obstacle like this, it is best to run. Bro, I love <laughs> it's like one of my favorite scenes I memorized because like there's like a second of hesitation. Like he says it. They wait a second. It's like, yeah, fuck it. You know, <laughs> start getting all this stuff. Like, yeah, he right. Let's let's go. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's go, boy. 
It's like they had to literally like, is he being sarcastic? No, he's not. Oh, oh shit! It's like he's not. He's not trying to be funny. He's being real. And then they capture the two of the immortals, and then they take them to the facility. This is sort of where you have the more cliche super like not i wouldn't say super villain but more villain where he's just sort of like i'm trying to do good for humanity i'm just a terrible person trying to do it and he's like i kind of want to see the results or care to see these for my own eyes he literally just shanks the dude a whole bunch of times just to see if he actually does heal he's a forgettable villain there's there's no doubt about it yeah his second command or whoever that woman was i I don't want to give her credit of character development i would feel she had more interesting because she kind of at times looked like she might have felt a little bit bad what she was doing. I kind of wish that kind of got dived in more of like questioning her morality behind what she was doing. That to me was more interesting. The dialogue between her and the two guys versus cardboard box villain. I don't care what anyone thinks. I want money and I will hurt people to do it. Yeah, and I know they tried to give him like good motivation. Like, oh, I'm going to cure diseases and cancer and ASL and all these different things. And it's like, cool dude but you're also being a horrible person yeah (laughs) there were two villains i expected for a movie like this when i saw what the movie was about and what the premise of and what characters were involved i knew they were immortal going into the movie i suspected one of two things one type of guy who wanted to harness their abilities as a gift to mankind or another immortal trying to be the only immortal. Those were the two villains I expected for a movie like this. And I'm still not putting them past it to have the next movie be an immortal character. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great way to continue the storyline. I Like I said, I, I haven't read any of them, so anybody's listening that probably is like, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I think that's the part that would make me the most interested is like, you have to go to extremes. This one, the most extreme thing that I saw wasn't death, but it was like the morality issue of, okay, do you feel like you found these immortals? Do you have the right to just take their lives from them? And then you, because you're essentially torturing them. I don't feel like the movie really pressed the moral issue. They kind of just left it on the surface, like, you know, just through just quick dialogues. Like we talked about earlier, they just kind of dabbed in so many things. I think that would have just took it to a whole bigger thing. Have like the villain be on the opposite side. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, they touched on it just a tiny bit where they're like, I forget the exact line, but he's like, I'm going to take pieces off you for years. Dude, you're literally going to be torturing him for years and you're treating him like a lab rat or a science experiment. You want to keep him away from other people's labs. It's like if they just dived into the fact that these people were going to be tortured for eternity, it would have made the stakes a little higher. I love villains that make you think. Not saying that he would convince the audience, but if he put up a more convincing argument, he would have been at least a more interesting villain trying to humanize what he was doing, just posing the questions and stuff like that. Because like sometimes that's what makes good villains. It's not that villains necessarily are right in what they're doing. They try to convince you so well to come on their side. Right. Then after the introduction of that, you do have a small scene where you get to see Andy's character lose her immortality, or at least you get to see evidence of it with the cut that's not healing and with the gas station lady being really nice helping her out. And then you get to the part where they go to invade the CIA agent's house. The one guy betrays them. Did you guys see that coming at all? Like one of the immortals turning the others in? 
That was a discussion between, that was Booker, by the way, his discussion with Charlie Theron's Andy about the whole, like, getting tired of doing the same thing over and over and the constant suffering and maybe trying to change it for, you know, everyone around them. Like, I think that's what he was going for because the villain's character was that he lost his family member and was doing everything he could with his money and power to basically try to preserve people. Very Lex Luthor-ish because he wanted to, like, make his own super army because that's when he just went over the deep end with it. That was definitely a partial discussion between them, like just a quick glance over just being tired of doing the same thing over and over and what has it gotten us and things like like conversations like those. I would actually say, so this is kind of a personal thing from a movie watching standpoint. I'm actually like really good, like nine out of 10 times. I usually early on can pick out who the traitor is in the movie. There's just something the way they present it. So from the very beginning, when Charlie Stern's character is showcased and she gives the book to the guy, there's just subtle ways they presented him. And I do believe they did it on purpose. The way they presented him, there was just always this like on-screen aura for me, kind of like the most depressed guy in the group. That presentation kind of started giving red flags. Usually the character that's like sometimes on the edge or hurting the most, sometimes they do portray you know, the protagonist or something, not necessarily out of evil deeds, but sometimes it could be out of just sadness or heartache or something like that, or just a wrong reason or something like that. So for me, I kind of picked it up pretty quickly from the start because I already had an eye on that guy. It was just the way they presented him. I can't think of any of the great examples, but he kind of always looked like he wasn't bright with energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say I wasn't ever suspicious of him. So I sort of did fall into that trap. But while we're on the note of being able to see CD things coming. I did make a list of all the things I predicted about this movie that did come true. One of them being that there's some sort of loophole to where they can die. And I did predict that it's random occurrence like, well, one day you just won't heal or one day you just won't be immortal anymore, which is sort of what happened. And when as soon as they mentioned the Iron Tomb, I'm literally I literally said out loud, she's going to be in the movie later on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you don't bring up a character like this and don't give them any more screen time at all, especially with the importance behind that. But those were two of the things that I got right just from random guessing. Then we actually get to the scene where Booker and the CIA guy discover that she's no longer healing. But the villain just doesn't seem to care that he can't really harness her immortality at all. He more cares about finding out why she can't heal anymore which you would think he would just like get rid of her be like oh shoot her get rid of her useless to me now because that's sort of like it's almost antithetical to his scientific research to try and figure out how to stop being immortal versus his research being all about how to heal people I would say it makes sense to me to keep her, maybe not work on her just far. You know, he's already got a messed up mind. I could picture it where in science, you know, you always keep a record of everything. He now has an example of someone who had immortality and he lost it. Okay, we're going to keep you around because we need to see what does before and after look like. Does your DNA change or what's missing in yours versus theirs, if that makes sense. Like, is there something new? Because I'm, I'm looking at it from his standpoint. He's just hearing all this shit. So he's seen stab heal. Okay. And then I'm hearing all the lore that you all are saying, but I don't have proof. So as a scientist, I need proof. Stabby, stab, you heal. Proof. But you know, but you saying <laughs> all this stuff. Yeah. You know? So now she got stabby, stabby. She not heal, but she did heal before. We're gonna get to that math equation now. 
because that's like a whole nother equation is stabby stabby yesterday good stabby stabby today i could see from him he doesn't know did she get a virus kind of like what we talked about is there something emotional behind it is it physical i mean to be honest i still don't even really know why i i know we kind of talked about it i don't know if there if the movie had a definitive answer i'm still not convinced about the whole like if someone loses meaning or something like that, I'm not too convinced. Or maybe I don't want it to be that way. I want there to be a reason why they have these abilities. I don't want it so cliche, like there's a God that just wanted them to have powers and protect people. Like, I don't even care if it's random. I just want there to be like a legit reason, a solid reason of A and B. You know, even if it's like, if you have a pure heart of gold, and some being gives them the blessing to live forever. And then if their path changes or if their time is done, maybe there's a definitive number. You know, maybe there's a, a certain number, like only 10 can exist at a time. That, that was a whole nother scenario I thought about. Because I thought when Kiki got her powers, I was already expecting someone else to die. That maybe it's a, you have to keep a certain amount of whatever it may be. That could be a reason why their powers sort of like get deactivated per se. Yeah, like it's a rotation. Yeah. Shortly after you do have like the CIA guy take Kiki's character to the medical facility. And I gotta say, from that point on until the end of that fight scene where they throw the villain off the top of the skyscraper or whatever, or through the window, I enjoyed every bit of it i have nothing negative to say about that ending except for the villain just being a pushover that's why i was excited when i was at the end of it because man that whole final sequence just all that that's why i left it on such a great note for me everything that happened after that was just like proms to me <laughs> like the main course was all of that yeah i'd have to agree cookie on that one and i did like andy's character slowly throughout the fight scenes and as her heart rate increases, she bleeds more, which I, I thought was a nice attention to detail. Like, of course, when you have such a gaping wound in you, you are going to bleed more when your heart rate increases. So nice attention to detail. Choreography was great. The camera work was a lot better in this final sequence. I mean, like I said before, it's kind of all the same to me, but I will say it definitely feels like by that portion of the movie, everything was just ready. Chemistry was down, everyone knowing how to work together, the set layouts. I, I'm always careful using the word perfect in a movie, but that section of the film, they just had it right. They were definitely in their groove. And then we come to sort of the close of the movie where you have the characters sort of going off in their different directions. Of course, they tell the one guy, like, hey, we're not going to see you for 100 years. Meet us back here then. And then you have little bits of closure for some characters. And then, of course, we transition to the six-month-later period where we get to see the returning queen. I predicted. I feel very happy about myself predicting that return. Yeah, I was excited to see her. Yes, that means there's a sequel. And I have a feeling she is going to absolutely wreck some peeps. Yeah, I'm, I'm back and forth when it comes to what happens with the finale is that when I look at a film like this, like let's take out sequels. I do feel like there should have been a sacrifice by the end of the film. Something of there has been a loss. I feel like for movies in this kind of caliber that talks about heavy subjects and this and that, I do feel like there should have been a loss. So Charlie's Theron... I feel like living was either plot armor because she's the actress 
just being straight up about it. I can see it being a little bit of a challenge having a sequel without her, just from a marketing standpoint. Her face is everywhere. Even outside of that, though, like it felt like I saw episode one of a TV show, but not necessarily a movie. Right. I can agree with that 100%. I did feel like there was a lot missing. And even though they tried to give you closure to some characters, it literally just felt like you should be pressing play the next episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you still watching? <laughs> yeah. Nope. <laughs> it doesn't even feel like a season finale. Season finale and shows got heavier moments. <laughs> like I said earlier, like I know they got other movies planned, so I can respect that. But sometimes that's the challenge when you make a two hour movie. Like how much weight are you going to put behind it? Like how much are you going to give of backgrounds and so forth? How much of the story do you really want to dive into? Right. I would say that's one of my biggest issues with the movie is because you close it off and asking like a question like okay where were the stakes where was the way I, I just had so many like things i wish they could have changed but we i watched the movie that they made so now i want to bring this up because i feel like this may have had a reason to why we have our opinion something very interesting happened behind the scenes before the movie was made the original writer wrote the script sent it charlie theron had a lot she wanted to change they end up going back and forth Essentially, they fired the writer or something. Either he quit or something because he just couldn't get along with Charlie's Theron. They just they couldn't get along. And Charlie's Theron brought her production team in to rewrite the whole movie. So she comes in with her own version of the whole film. The production group, you know, at Netflix was just like, we don't like this version of the film. <laughs> they brought they rehired the guy and they were like, you two need to just get along so we make this movie right. So essentially, it was like his script back again just enough of her edits to make her happy to work in the film it's very interesting to me because it's like i wonder what parts of the movie was charlie theron's choice and then my other part i'm very curious about is why he didn't like it or what he had originally could it have solved some of our questions or did it make the movie better or worse we'll never know but it's just something interesting for me yeah, I, I would be really interested to see maybe like an alternate cut of the whole thing filmed and produced from her, you know, her brain, see what she wanted to do with the whole movie. And I'd love to see that. And I'd also love to see what the guys from Netflix wanted to do. All right. Thank you very much for joining me today, Regent and Cookie. It was a pleasure having you both. Thank you for having me again, as always. I always enjoy talking about action films. And thank you listeners for listening. We greatly appreciate you chiming in. Again, thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful day. You are now listening to Cinema Rewind.